And this morning we want to talk about this idea of prayer. What is prayer? And if you are anything like me, from the get-go, prayer has been one of the most difficult parts of being a good disciple, right? And you already kind of hear my skew in this, because I thought for the longest time, and I still believe, but in a different way, we'll get there, that to really be a good disciple, then I had to be like really good at prayer. And the truth is, church, for the longest time, and perhaps still, I'm really bad at it. I do it much better, or do it much more often than I used to, and I'm much more proactive about it. So when I tell you that I pray for you regularly, you can believe me that that's happening. But it's been a, what, 22-year journey for me to get to this point. Uh, And I think many of you are similar to me, right? We're easily distracted. We have busy lives. Our minds wander. So prayer time for me could easily go like this. I'll sit in my chair in my living room, and I'll start to pray. And I'll be reflecting upon things. And then my neighbor will turn on his lawnmower. And I'll think, oh gosh, I hate mowing the lawn. Right? It's, <laughs> seconds ago, I was deeply, imp- God, thank you for your goodness to me. You've been so kind. My family is in the church. Oh, oh, I hate mowing the lawn. That's terrible. And why is he doing it again? Didn't he just do it at the beginning of this week? He's so fanatical. And now Rachel's going to come home and she's going to say, Adam, he mowed the lawn again. Don't you think we should mow the lawn? And I'll be like, it's November. The lawn mowing is over. I don't care if the grass is still growing. Lawn mowing is over, right? We've put that to rest. Does that seem like a a time of prayer for you, right? It's not the lawn mower that goes off, but it's something else, right? All of a sudden, the thought comes to your mind, oh, shoot, I forgot to do X, Y, or Z. Or, oh, man, I better wrap this up because the eagles are starting to kick off, right? Or you're so overwhelmed with all these things, and, and... I think one of, the th- one of the keys that helped me unlock out of this was this notion that far too often we come to prayer because of prayer, right? We understand that, okay, to follow Jesus, prayer has got to be an important part of this, and so our purpose for prayer is prayer, and in so doing, we've missed the boat from the beginning, right? Because the purpose for prayer is actually God, not prayer. And so the minute we start to feel like, oh man, I'm not doing it right because I'm thinking about mowing the lawn, is the minute our, our, we've, been un, we've kind of been opened to see what this really has all been about, right? Rather than actually coming to be with God, who is okay if for a few moments we wander on to mowed grass. Perhaps he chuckles about it with us. Perhaps he says, yeah, Rach might tell you that you need to mow the lawn, and guess what, it might be a good idea as a husband, right? And so this morning, I want to suggest to you a couple of different ways that I think will help us unlock prayer and see it in a new way, and then hopefully be able to keep valuing it the way I think we value it as followers of Jesus, but maybe see it as a much more enterable reality than it feels like sometimes uh, if you're anything like me. What's interesting to me is that only one place in scriptures do we have People saying to Jesus, teach us to do something. And the thing they ask is, Jesus, teach us to pray. And in response to that, Jesus very famously gives us what we call now the Lord's Prayer. This happens in Luke chapter 11, and then in Matthew chapter 6, there's kind of a more full version of the Lord's 
prayer. So you can feel free to open to Matthew chapter 6 if you want to follow it there. I need to give you a warning from the beginning. Uh, I went to a more liturgical church as a child, and so we recited the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, uh, and we did it in the King James. And so try as I may, you're going to hear some these and thous, and please don't think I've gone crazy or wacko on you. Uh, It's just how I remember it. Matthew chapter 6, we get the Lord's Prayer. And I think what you'll find as we kind of look through the Lord's Prayer, what is fascinating is it's very similar in the way that I suggested to you two weeks ago, we should read Scripture. Do you remember what I said about Scripture? First question we ask is, where is God and who is God? The second question we ask is, where is Jesus? Or more kind of universally, how do I see the Gospel playing out? in this passage of Scripture. And then the third question we finally get to is, where am I? Because most of the time when we read Scripture, we do it backwards. Where am I? How does the Gospel help me to get what I want? And how do I demand that God do that for me? Right? So we flip it. And then I said the fourth thing in reading Scripture was, then we kind of see, okay, what has God called us to do? What's the point of meditation we want to make in this moment and move forward? And I think what you actually see in the Lord's Prayer is these four things. Isn't it fascinating? The first part of the Lord's Prayer is, where, who is God? Right? Where is God? Who is God? And I would suggest to you the first part of prayer for us should always be, who is God? This is about God. The second part is what you know, I might call the, the mission of God, but we would summarize that with what? The Gospel, right? The mission of God is the Gospel. And so that's where we get to the part of the Lord's Prayer where He says, Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? So the the move of God, the mission of God, the gospel is what it is there. And it's not until the third part that we finally get to us, right? Give us this day our daily bread. And then the last part, especially emphasizing Matthew's version of this, is kind of our mission, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Yours is the kingdom, power, the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it moves to those four parts. It's fascinating how that works, isn't it? Amazing. And so this morning, I want, to do, I want to look through the Lord's Prayer in exactly that way. So first part, prayer is about God. What does he say? Our Father, who art, right, in heaven, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy, high, mighty is your name. Prayer is about God. You know, maybe the most important key to unlocking prayer is the very first word of the Lord's Prayer. Our. you thought about this before? Our Father. This is personal. The God of the universe has come near to you. Sound like the creation part of the divine story of God? The great God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, is your God. He's come near to you. And then he says, Father, right? Our Father. Now this is fascinating because he doesn't say God. He doesn't say the high names of God, Yahweh, or as it would be pronounced by the Jewish people, Adonai, right? These high and holy and mighty names of God. No, he says Father. 
What's fascinating is the word father is tied elsewhere in Scripture in the New Testament, specifically by Paul, but others as well, to this idea of a, a child speaking to his dad. Right? We get the word Abba elsewhere, which very literally means daddy. This is how prayer starts. My daddy. It's different than I thought about prayer for all of my life. This high and mighty God, I've got to say things right. I better not screw up. I better not lose my train of thought. No, this is like spending time with my dad who loves me. Now listen, I need to pause and say this. I have been blessed in that uh, I'll get to, I get to think of my father in the same way that God has thought of in this passage, and it makes sense to me. Many of you have not had that privilege, uh, and I mourn that with you, but I want you to think of God uh, in spite of that reality in your life as someone who actually is that for you, someone who you can bear your soul to, who you can ask anything to, who when you call him will open his arms for you to come sit on his lap. I say, Kyrie Eliasson, Lord have mercy for many of you for your stories that you haven't had that in this world. This world is broken. It's not as God intended it to be. But that does not change the truth of who God is and who he wants to be for you. So the great and glorious creator of the universe is your God. He's our Father, our daddy, right? He's not this sort of British father, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> father, I might I, you know? No, he's daddy. I can't help but come back. This is that's probably a silly illustration. I don't know, but like I was praying through this all last night and all this morning. And I keep coming back to this illustration. So God, I'm going to trust this from you. If not, you can all laugh at me later, right? Remember the, the, the musical or the movie Annie, right, for... I keep thinking about that in this, in this paradigm, right? She almost has no business going to who she calls Daddy, right? Daddy Warbucks, who has this vast fortune which becomes hers. And yet, by the end, he's embracing her that way. Well, it's not by the end for God. It's from the beginning for God, right? We call him Daddy. See, this is not just personal. It's actually intimate. We're called to this childlike embrace of the great and glorious God of the universe. And that shouldn't strike us as odd because plenty of places elsewhere, Jesus calls us to this very posture. Right? Remember when uh, the women are bringing children to Jesus because they want him to bless them. And the disciples are like, come on, we don't have time for this nonsense. And Jesus is like, whoa, you better be more like them and stop being like you. It's the children who come and receive the kingdom of God. This is keen to the reality of... Remember in Luke chapter 10, we were talking about this at the prayer and vision gathering. Uh, Jesus, when he sends his 72 disciples out and they come back and say, God did amazing things through the ministry you sent us to do. And Jesus goes into... It says that the Holy Spirit came on him and he goes into this sort of like crazy prayer, song, excitement, and he says, thank you that you have chosen to reveal yourself to children. right? So this idea that our posture towards God has always meant to be like little boys and girls and a dad who loves them unconditionally. And this is prayer. Now, he absolutely purposely then says, 
who is in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name. Because he wants us to know that it's not just our God who we manipulate, but it's the great and glorious God of the universe who, through his grace and kindness, has come near to us. I love what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. You are God in heaven and here am I on earth, so I will let my words be few. Fascinating also then, right, that right before this uh, reality of what it means to pray in Matthew 6, Jesus says, well, I'm going to start by telling you what not to do. Don't be like these people who sort of babble on and on and on and on. Now, is he saying there's like a, a limit, you know? It's like the, going to see a counselor and when the, when the bell rings, sorry, time's up, we'll see you next week. No, you can talk to God for as long as you want. But he's making the point that, hey, he gets it, he understands, and also it's this idea of entering in a posture of submission. Right? This whole idea of saying, hallowed be thy name, you're in heaven, is also saying, my name is not hallowed, and I am not in heaven. And yet, you've given me this access that I don't deserve, and yet you have bestowed on me fully. Listen, prayer is about God, let me suggest something to you. Much more than what you are able to recite to God when you get your prayers out, God is interested in you spending time with Him. Catch that? It's much more about you crawling up into Daddy's lap than what you're going to say to Him for the next whatever. Prayer is the chance to foster a relationship with a God who loves you. I asked uh, in our student community group, I asked them this week, because we were talking about this idea of prayer as well, and I asked them, who's your best friend? And when's the last time you talked to them? Right? And because of texting, someone said, a second ago. Right? Which means they weren't listening to what I was saying (laughs) previous to that, which was okay. You know? That's fine. But you get the point, right? Here's the God of the universe who loves you like a father and is lavishing gifts on you. The only way to develop a relationship with Him is to spend time with Him, and prayer is one of the great means of doing this. Relationships grow because you talk with people. I remember uh, in my first couple weeks of dating Rachel that we would spend hours talking to each other, right? Hours about who knows what on the phone overnight because we went to a Bible college with a curfew where they said, inside, shut the doors, but they let us use the phone. So we'd talk and talk and talk for hours and hours and hours and our relationship would grow. This is what prayer is. It's not some spewing out some religious sounding jargon so that you can feel like you've accomplished something important and check the religious box. It is about cultivating a relationship with a God who loves you more than anything in this world and fanning the flames of intimacy. So I don't think he cares when I get distracted by the lawnmower, so long as I keep recentering myself to say, I'm here to spend time with you because you're important to me, and I love you, and you love me way more than I love you. Right? Fascinating. Radically important. And likewise, it's also the sense which we come to God as a, as a little kid, and so we are not concerned. Let me, let me suggest two things. Right? We're not concerned with pretense or performance, right? 
many of us learned how to pray because we grew up in church and people prayed from the front. And we thought, my goodness, if that's how I have to sound in prayer, I'm in trouble. Right? Many people are afraid to pray to this day because of how they've seen people pray. Right? And it's not, the problem is not how people prayed. The problem is how we interpreted what they did. That we have to be like them. Right? That's not what prayer is like. Uh, maybe we'll edit this out, and I'm going to edit myself here. I was a youth pastor right out of Bible college, and I was really working in this one student, and he really, the Spirit put it on my heart. He pulled the student aside, and, and it's time to sort of say, are you ready? Are you ready to make the gospel your own? And, and she said, yes. I remember it, standing right underside a tree, uh, right outside the church uh, with, with her. I think Rach was with me, or, or another youth leader, and, and her friend was there who, who had brought her. Uh, and I said, hey, well, all you've got to do, you know, the deal is done, right? But in essence, what you should do is spend a few minutes praying right now and just saying to God, here I am. I'm yours. I'm broken and I'm yours. And you know what she prayed? It's, to, to this day, it's, it sticks with me. She, her beginning prayer was, God, I'm so effed up. And I thought, Yeah. Nailed it, right? Because it was her, and it was real, and it was raw, and it was in the moment, right? Now, I'm not suggesting to you go train your children to pray this way. That's what I want to say, right? I need the caveat, right? You got that recorded? Good. But what I'm saying is, that's the kind of prayer that God is after, right? He wants to be with you as you are, raw and in the moment. Not some cooked up theological sounding nicety that you think he wants to hear. You know? When your kids are driving you up the wall, say the same thing to him that you'd say to your mom if you're close to your mom. How on earth did you put up with me? Right? Because God has some answers to that question, right? You know, <laughs> he just wants to hear from us as we are, He just wants to spend time with us this. Prayer, first and foremost, from the beginning, it's about time with God. If we miss that part, then, then the, the, the train is off the tracks, and we can't bring it back. We can't bring it back. Right? And then it moves to this notion that prayer is about God's mission. Right? It says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Basically, what Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray is, God, we, just like you, want heaven to break into earth. Right? One of the great realities of the book of Revelation, even though we make much of it that is not fully... Not, the things that are not explicit in Revelation, we spend all our time on. Right? When is this going to happen? How does this happen? What does this mean? You know? But the real big picture that's happening in Revelation, if you look at it, is the scenes on earth are terrible, and the scenes in heaven are glorious. And the only way earth is going to become what it needs to be is when heaven invades earth. Now, however he accomplishes that, we'll, you know, we'll let him figure out, and we'll pray that he does it quick, right? But part of the Lord's prayer is calling upon God to be about that business. We want heaven to invade earth. Now, how has this happened, church? Through the person and work of Jesus. Right? This is what we'll celebrate on Christmas Eve. The incarnation when heaven invades earth and is fully finished ultimately when Jesus comes back and sets all things right. But it is underway now. 
And so ultimately what we're being called to in prayer here is some sense of meditation and reflection upon the rescue and renewal operation that God is conducting in our world. And we need to do that. Because the storylines of our life and the headlines of the news are telling us a very different story. Right? A very different story. But instead, we spend time reflecting upon the story of God. Right? Prayers about God. Prayers about the story of God. And what happens, I think, when we... When we enter into this loving embrace of God and we sit on Daddy's lap, for lack of better, better terminology, we become enveloped in the story He's telling as opposed to the story we hear everyone else telling all the time. It's about your performance. It's about your production. It's about your performance. about your production. We sit in the Father's lap. We hear you are loved. You are protected. You are safe. I'm making all things new. You included. Right? And it also becomes this wonderfully centering reality in a turbulent world. Now, I would suggest to you something here. Much of these first two parts of prayer actually are best accomplished by saying very little. And that's a very different paradigm for prayer than any of us have, have probably heard, right? Because when we pray, we've got to axe, right? We've got to have a door, we've got to confess, we've got to thank, we've got to supplicate, whatever that means, you know? And that's great. I'm not, I am not reigning on the parade of acts. If that's working for you, then keep working it, baby, you know? Right? But there's a sense in which a lot of what God has called us to in prayer is actually accomplished when we listen rather than speak. Believe it or not, God cares to tell us stuff. He knows that we've got a lot to say to Him too. But He cares to remind us that He loves us. He cares to remind us that He's with us. He cares to nudge us in certain ways. And when we say that prayer is about connecting with Him and about reminding and reflecting on His rescue and renewal project in the world, then we get centered in this reality. And then we come to the third part of prayer. We finally make it to us, right? And like, we're just ready to get this stuff out because we've got a lot to say, a lot of things we need, you know? And finally, Jesus says, hey, the third part of prayer is you say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. What a weird thing for him to say, right? Daily bread. Well, this whole prayer, if you really root it, and I preached a sermon on this a year ago or so, is really an Exodus prayer. This whole prayer is really an Exodus prayer. Uh, the kind of prayer of a God who is large and outside but comes near, rescues His people from slavery, sets them free, and in the wilderness journey does what? Gives them daily bread. We call it manna, right? Gives them daily bread for the journey. Give us what we need. We are dependent on You is the prayer that He's calling us to pray here. This is the same childlike prayer where we are pulled up into the lap of a loving father, a loving dad. And then we act like a child for just a moment. I don't mean in a bad way, but sort of in a shameless, bold, asking kind of way. Right? Now, some of you know my son Tyler, and my son Tyler is great at this. Uh, So we'll be going somewhere and we'll be doing something, and you know, we'll say, ah, you know what, let's do. 
let's, you know, we'll get, we'll get this treat for you, whatever. Sometimes on the way home from school, we'll stop at um, the Speedway gas station and we'll get a little snack um, and, you know, have, have fun with that. So Ty will get that and then he'll ask for another thing, right? And then if I, if I acquiesce to that because I'm caught in the moment, he's not afraid to ask for a third thing, <laughs> And trust me, he's not afraid to ask for four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is I think that's the disposition God calls us to, right? Not this sort of sheepish, uh, what if I ask for the wrong thing and he'll squash me, you know? No, you're sitting in the loving arms of your father. He's able to fend aside the silly requests and not be mad at you for them, right? You ask him for what you need, big, small, and even misguided. And you trust him with it, right? Because you're bearing your soul to your dad who loves you. He wants to hear these things. And he wants to give you good gifts. Remember the story where Jesus says about God, hey, what? What good parent would ever give some, their child a stone when they ask for bread, right? Then how much more does your, your, your heavenly Father want to bestow good gifts on you? Right? And he also says elsewhere, catch this, I mean, make of this what you want to make. He says, you have not because you ask not. Now we need to be careful with that, but there's something important truth there, right? We're sheepish because we're afraid that he might lightning bolt us for saying the wrong thing. When he's called us into his lap to hear where we're at and what we need. Boldly, without shame. He's given you a Mountain Dew and a King Size Snickers. You go for that bag of, of Mike and Ike's, right? <laughs> or that Boston cream donut that's been sitting in the counter for who knows how long. You know? <laughs> You go for it. Why not? You know? But notice the order of the prayer, right? Because before we get to sort of launching into the things we perceive we need, we've spent time meditating and reflecting on the goodness, the graciousness of God, the hallowed, huge, great, glorious nature of God who's come near to us. In the gospel. And what I have found as I've grown in prayer is the more I spend time soaking and saturating and meditating in that part of prayer, the more it changes how I pray in this third part of the Lord's Prayer. It's no longer for a frivolous box of Mike and Ike's, right? Or a, boy God, it'd be great if you just wiped up this mess in aisle three you know, of my life. Or if you just took care of this person that's in my life. And it's more, God, you know what? You've been good to me from the beginning of my days. Help me to trust you in this situation of life that you will continue to be good to me. I'm going to ask you boldly now that you would just take this away from me. But help me to trust you that you'll be good to me. You see it? We're still boldly asking for these huge things. Hey, we believe that God heals people in this church, right? We pray boldly for it, but we also pray, God, we trust your goodness. Right? We are not here to pull God to our side. We are here to be aligned to God's mission. 
Prayer is not a manipulation tool. Happy life, you know, better boss, more high-paying job, better, you know, this is not how prayer works. Prayer is more us being formed into gospel people who continue to receive the good gifts of a loving Father. And then notice what he says, because the prayers for us don't end with what we need, do they? He says, forgive us our debts. Now why does this come after asking for daily bread? Because we are right back into the gospel. Do you see it? We are once again reminded, oh, as we sit in the Father's lap who's lavishing good gifts on us, you know what? We haven't been the sons and daughters we ought to be, have we? (laughs) Forgive us our debts. Now, listen, I used to think that confessing sins in prayer was like, like really specific and like, man, if I miss something, it could be bad for me. Do you know what I mean? And so I used to be taught, like, you just pray the Holy Spirit, and he brings to mind every single sin you committed today so you can confess them. Well, that, that is a method of prayer that doesn't believe the gospel is true. Right? Let's just be honest. Did, did Jesus pay for the sins or didn't he? Right? Do you have to pray them into existence again or did it already happen? When you trusted Jesus, was it good enough? Do you believe the writer of Hebrews that his sacrifice was once or for all? Or must you call it into play again and again and again for it to be good for you? No. Does that mean that we don't need to reflect upon our sinfulness? No, that's a lie too. That's on the other side of things, right? We need to be reminded constantly in our Father's loving arms, we haven't been the sons and daughters we ought to be in light of His love for us. It's the same way that, remember, Jesus wants to wash His disciples' feet. And Peter's like, well, you're not going to do that to me, you know? And then he's like, no, you must be clean. And then Peter's like, well, then wash my whole body. And she's like, your whole body doesn't have to be washed, just your feet, you know? And, and one commentator says it this way, is that, you know, we've been already cleansed, but sometimes our feet get dirty, and they need to just be cleaned off. Not for salvation's sake, but for writing our path in the gospel's sake. And so once again, we're pulled back on the heels of praying our needs to be reminded of God's love for us. That when we pray that second prayer, we can be just as confident in His goodness to cleanse us. Right? Not in a salvation way, but in a restorative way. We can be certain of it. And then the fourth reality is what I'll call our mission. Prayers about God, prayers about God's mission or God's story. Prayers about us, or maybe we say prayers actually about God's goodness and graciousness to us. Right? And then lastly, prayers about our mission. And what does he say? Right after, forgive us our debts, he says, we forgive our debtors. Well, that's an unfortunate juxtaposition, isn't it? Man. We would like to be forgiven and then to hold grudges, right? Wouldn't that be from the perfect world? But what is he saying? You've soaked in this gospel way. You're calling on the goodness of God. Now, how can you live any other way but in the way God has shown to you? And one of the chief ways you live into that is to be a person of forgiveness, right? The chief ways that you are a gospel teller and an image bearer is you forgive people. Not because they asked you to, but because you do it. Not because they did enough to merit it, 
but because you're a gospel person, you did not do enough to merit God's forgiveness either. Right? Not because they called you up and were sad enough about what they did, but because you initiated forgiveness. This is the gospel. And really the bigger thing that he's calling us into is, God, would you help us to be people who are not just enthralled with the gospel in our personal space, but who are overflowing with it in every aspect of our life. Important, right? And then he goes on to say, this is stunning to me, right? And, and lead us not into temptation. Now, what does this mean? Now, there's a few things you can say about this. I mean, because Jesus has just endured temptation in the wilderness two chapters prior, right? With Satan. And I think one of the things he's saying to them in this prayer is, you better pray that you don't have to experience what I just experienced, because it will not go nearly as well for you as it did for me, right? But there's something deeper that's at play here. It's about our mission, our kingdom, as that is, and if you were with us through the Long Story Short series, hopefully you remember this, that temptation happens when we're pursuing our own lives and kingdoms. Right? Temptation happened in the Garden of Eden because all of a sudden being like God sounded interesting to Adam and Eve. Temptation happened in the wilderness to Jesus because Satan was tempting him with a kingdom now instead of a kingdom through suffering. Hey, bow before me and you can have all of the nations of the earth. What temptation is going on there? Important to think about. So what Jesus is actually telling us to pray is, God, help me not to pursue my own kingdom because if I do, I'm walking straight into temptation. And I will not overcome it. Right? And that's why he says right after that, deliver me from the evil one who is the one waiting to suck us into that place. Now evil, I think, refers to three things. Not just Satan. Satan's certainly one of them, but it's also this world. And the third part that we don't like to admit, it's us. Right? God, save me from the devil, from the powers of this world, and from myself. Here I think we get to this giant unlocking reality of prayer is if you are praying out of obligation, you have missed the boat. Right? If we said the first big point, right? If you're, if you're praying because of prayer's sake, and trying to figure out prayer because of prayer, and it's not about spending time with God, then you've missed the boat. Second way you've missed the boat is if you're praying out of obligation. Well, God said I had to. The disciples asked how to do it, and Jesus told them, so I better do it, you know? In some ways, you have to step into things you're not ready to do yet, but listen to this. If we pray out of obligation, we miss the boat, because what we're really called to pray out of is actually helplessness, right? It's actually helplessness, and and here's why this becomes dangerous, And, and, and follow with me for a second. If we pray... Out of helplessness, our prayers become like this. God, without you, I cannot do this. I will succumb to pursuing my own things and not having my life align with your mission. We'll come to God with the needs of our lives and we'll be praying for things that help us accomplish stuff instead of declaring our utter dependence on God. Listen. 
when we pray, pray out of obligation, we tend to fall into what I like to call religious animism. Do you guys know what animism is? I didn't know what animism was till college. Animism is this, this kind of think about it as like good, like good luck, right? Like animism is like a four-leaf clover. If you have it, good things can happen. So a lot of tribal, religion, uh, tribal religions and systems are built on animism where if you do the right things, good stuff will happen to you. If you do the, the wrong things, bad stuff will happen to you. Sounds a lot like religion, doesn't it? Religious animism happens oftentimes in prayer, right? Because oftentimes prayer is about us trying to better our odds in a circumstance rather than declaring our utter dependence upon God and helplessness in a circumstance. Two very different things. Let me give you a practical example. When Rachel and I moved here over six years ago because God was calling us to help start a church in Bethlehem, we knew nobody. Absolutely nobody. Like, nobody. Right? Let me say it one more time. I knew nobody. (laughs) In those six months, the first six months that we were here, were the most deep and profound six months of my prayer life ever. Even today, I, I struggle to replicate it. Because in every way of life, I was utterly helpless and completely dependent upon God. You know, so, sometimes I can say, well, I'm a pretty good preacher. You know, I, I can do pretty good at that. Well, when you don't have anyone to preach to, <laughs> you can't depend upon yourself, Right? Now, we've got a growing church and we're getting ready to plant another church in the, in the coming year. It's hard for me to get myself back to that point of declaring my utter dependence upon God, even though it's just as true now as it was then. We saw God do miraculous things then. And yet, in my human whatever, even though I saw that and lived it and witnessed it, it is still hard for me to get back to that place because prayer is much more about bettering my odds for success than about declaring my utter dependence and helplessness to God. Hey, God, help me to do this. Rather than, God, I don't know what to do. Would you help me? See the difference? Like, think about it as a parent, and you're praying for your children. God, here's the situation, and if they would just do X, Y, and Z, they would be better. And so would you help that happen? Religious animism. Better my odds here. Help my wife to listen to me better. Help my kids to do these things, right? Keep praying those prayers. But remember that you're part of the problem too, right? And so we say, God, how on earth did you choose me to parent adolescence? I'm praying that prayer right now, right? My boys are entering that particular stage of life, and I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) So I praise you. How, God, why? Why would you choose me to do this? I have no training for this. I remember what I was like, but I still don't know how my parents mastered it. And I bet if I asked them, they're like, I don't know. No, you made it, and we crossed our fingers, and thank goodness. They had better plans than that, I hope. But you know, you get it. Right? But religious animism is like, well, God, if if you just help them to listen better, and if you help me to be the leader that you've called me to be, and I'll prepare, those are decent prayers, but if they're not rooted in utter helplessness, then can I tell you something? Not only is it, geared towards this, you know, better my chances circumstance, but it also will actually cause you to pray less and less. Because what you're really saying is, my faith is in me, could you just boost the odds for me? Right? 
But when you really come to believe that you are utterly helpless, you'll spend an awful lot of time praying. And then when you see God show up, you're going to spend an awful lot more time praying. But the world will keep pulling you the other way. We are helpless, not because we are obligated. Pray because we are helpless, not because we are obligated. That God would align us and form us to be His people and to live for His mission in this world. Not that we would manipulate Him to do what we want to do. Hey, we ask bold things, but we ultimately trust in God's goodness and how He sees things. Right? So as you think about prayer, think about it in those four zones. I don't even, you know, you know. Who is God? Is prayer really about me spending time with God? Then all of a sudden I can let my guard down. Right? It doesn't matter if I screw up, if I say a wrong word, if my mind gets distracted. It's about me learning to spend time with Him. About, about deepening a relationship, fanning the flames of intimacy. I don't have to talk high and mighty. I can actually sound like me. You know? I don't have to be like that other person or prove myself to God. I can just be with Him. I can listen. And then soaking in the gospel. Prayer is about meditating and reminding yourself and praising God for the ways in which He has been so good to us and we have not deserved it. And then, as we continue to sit in this loving embrace from our Father as sons and daughters, we say, God, the way I see life right now, this is what I need help with. Maybe it's your work, and maybe it's your kids, and maybe it's your friends, and maybe it's your career, and maybe it's your bank account. I don't know. We pray bold, unshamed prayers, unashamed prayers, but trust in the goodness of God, understanding that these prayers are formed in our meditation on God's graciousness and goodness to us. And we do it because we are helpless without Him. Not because we're almost there if he could just boost our odds a little bit. And then we see him begin to show up in profound ways. Let me give you a couple practical things as we finish this morning. If you are like me and prayer has been a really difficult thing for a really long time, the first thing I would say to you this morning is take another holy risk. Take another step of faith and give it another try. Except do it the way I've just said it this time. There's no set timeline. Maybe the first time you do it, it's like a five-minute thing. That counts, right? Prayers aren't great because they take two hours. Prayers are great because you have access to God and He loves you. I bet you'll find that it grows. And hold off in getting into the list of things you need. God knows them and He wants to hear them from you. But let's hear from Him first. And then in response to hearing Him remind us of His grace and His goodness, have even more confidence to boldly ask for big things. Even misguided things. And then trust Him in His goodness to give us what we actually need. As we continue to be people who are molded into His image rather than us being people who mold God into our Take a step. Give it a try. 
We give you some practical realities in which you can enter into prayer. And I'll send an email out later with maybe some more details about these things. A first kind of practical thing that you can do and an easy way to combine your time of reading the Scriptures into prayer is pray the Scriptures. You don't have to invent new things. As you're reading and you're asking those four questions, where is God, where is Jesus, where is the Gospel, who am I, what is God calling me to do? Pray. God, this is what I see who you are. Thank you for this. Reflect and meditate in these realities of these things. Here's who I am. (laughs) These are my situations. This is what's speaking to me. Here are the needs of my life now. You've called me to be this. Would you help me? Combine them together. If you're someone who is easily distracted or whose mind wanders, maybe you need to add something more practical into the mix to try to help you. This has been helpful to me. It sounded so boring, you know, 15 years ago, but about seven years ago, I was like, I need boring because I'm struggling, right? And that is, uh, use prayer cards. Get some index cards and write some topics on them, right? I I have a prayer card for... I should have brought them, but I don't know. I have a prayer card that has, a single card that has each of your names on it, unless you're you're new to this church. And the reason it's helpful to me is not because I forget your name, but I'm able to track the story on the card, right? And I'm able when I'm hearing from God to write that on the card. And I'm able when God shows up and does amazing things to note that on the card. So I'm not just coming back saying, God, could you do these things? And I'm actually remembering, wow, you've, You've provided a job when we've been praying for for this person. You've brought restoration to a relationship when we've been praying for for this person. I'm going to ask you for some more big things for this person now, God. You know, prayer cards can become religious legalism if you let them. Right? I've got to do prayer cards. Everyone to pray in order to pray, you need prayer cards. Is that what I'm saying? But if you need help so that you're constantly enveloped in the story, it's a great way. I a lot of people I know they journal while they pray. We were on an elders retreat, and Jeff Miller, who's one of our uh, elder candidates, came down, and he sat in the chair, and he was writing on this notepad. And I'm thinking to myself, what is he doing? Like, is he preparing for a legal brief? Is he a lawyer in another lifetime? I don't know. I said, what are you doing, Jeff? He's like, I got like, to journal my prayers, otherwise my mind goes all over the place. And I was like, wow, that's great. That would, that would never work for me because I'd start writing about the lawnmower across the street. <laughs> but it works for him, you know? So do that. Type them like Doogie Howser back in the 80s. Remember when he would type his diary at the end of the night? Type them, whatever. Write your own spiritual blog that is your prayer life. You don't have to release it to the world, or you could. Be very practical with it. There is no set way to pray. Just because we pray a certain way here on Sunday morning doesn't mean you better pray that exact way at home. It doesn't work that way. God likes slang, and He likes it how you like it. Practical. If you struggle with this, keeping this reality of prayer throughout the day, can I suggest to you some, some things that have, the church has used for thousands of years? The first is what's called centering prayer. And that's a specific prayer that it, the church would, they would pray at various times throughout the day, sort of to bring us back to focus. And so many people still do that, and it's very, very helpful for them because life is telling us a different story 23 hours a day. And if we're praying 10 minutes, you know, that's valuable and important, but sometimes it gets drowned out. Or one thing that I've adopted that I absolutely love is what's called the daily office. There are certain times throughout the day when you, when you stop to pray, and you pray through the, the same things that you've prayed for already. Right? 
And, you, and the daily office, by the way, doesn't have to be at the time someone says the daily office can be. You're allowed to set your daily office, right? 6.30 works better for you than 5.30. God's cool with that daily office schedule too. But it's saying, okay, I'm going to reorient myself. I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to remind myself. I'm going to reflect in it. Maybe you said the daily office. So in the first part in the morning, it's about reflecting on who God is. And the second part of the daily office is meditating in the gospel. And the third part of the daily office is calling your needs to God. And the fourth part of the daily office is reflecting upon how I've been molded in the gospel and what are you calling me to do. So many ways you can do it, right? All of it is a giant win for your connectivity to God. I want to remind you too that Paul tells us in Romans that the Spirit prays for us when we don't know how to pray. And this is a wonderful truth, right? There's so many times we don't know how to pray. There's two prayers throughout church history that the church has prayed, and I I prayed them this morning on purpose to kind of give you a sense of what they're like. Uh, The the first one is the Kyrie Eliason prayer, right? Lord have mercy. For what? Everything. The Spirit will pray into what that means, right? We hear news that our schools are on lockdown. Kyrie eleison, that works. You know what I'm saying? And then the second prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. It's called the Jesus prayer, very simply. And it's just a sort of a breathing way of, of entering into prayer and a way to, to reflect upon the gospel without having to sit there and say, all right, then there was justification, and then what was the, the sanctification, and... Thank you for the gospel, Jesus, and all my theological terms. The Jesus prayer is a great way to reflect on the gospel. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Gospel, all over it. That counts. That's prayer. That's drawing you close to God. Amazing and important things. Mostly, though, I want you to leave here knowing that the God of the universe has come near to you. He loves you. He understands that you haven't been the son or the daughter that you ought to be. That does not make him cross his legs or fold his arms. It actually makes him open his arms wider to call you into his lap as a child, to sit and be enveloped in his loving arms, to spend time with him, and to let him know boldly what you think you need while trusting Him to give you the good things that you do in fact need. This is what prayer is. And it looks like a million different things. Can I pray with you?